Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. High Five Casino. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at highfivecasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas, and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumberFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. We've got our super producer, Max Williams, in the house, live and direct on the Zoom. I'm Ben Bolin. And who is this other handsome guy on the Zoom? Looks like he just got a haircut. Oh, my God, Ben. Are you talking about me? Are you talking about me? Yes, you are. So only, I'm, I'm the only other person here. I did get a haircut. I, I don't know why I was so overexcited about that. I think I was maybe doing a bit. It didn't really land, but I did get a haircut, Ben. Um, you got a haircut too. We joked that we got haircuts side by side mm-hmm. uh, while holding you know, hands, holding, holding hands, but that didn't really happen. But uh, <laughs> you can, I, I leave it to the imagination of the listening public. Yes, please picture our fresh haircuts the entire time you are listening to this week's two part episode. Max, Noel, and I are tackling something that is going to doubtlessly be familiar to a lot of folks listening to the show today. For anybody in the audience who has ever been a part of a pregnancy or has been expecting a child, uh, you know that it can bring some well, it can it can bring some big changes into your life. And one of the funniest changes that pregnancy can bring is a change in cravings, right? This is an ancient idea. Like Max, Noel, you've you probably have some stories in your family about odd cravings. Maybe your mother's had some like very specific cravings while you were on the way to Earth. Like, do you guys have any uh anecdotes about, you know, your mom all of a sudden saying, I can only eat pickled flavored ice cream. 
Do they make pickle flavored ice cream? Because that sounds like an absolute culinary travesty. I guess if they did, it would probably be for this reason. But I know that ice cream flavors are getting all kinds of weird these days. I don't know. I don't really talk to my mom about that kind of stuff. We have sort of a weird relationship. Max, I defer to you. You seem to have a very friendly and open relationship with your family. Did your mom tell you about weird cravings she had when you or your brother were uh, in the womb? So she definitely has told me. I cannot off the top of my head remember, but my mom had, so my brother's only 18 months older than me. So it's like rapid succession. So she's like, yeah, I was pretty much pregnant. I had like a few days off from being pregnant. (laughs) Then I was pregnant again. So it was like a three, it was like a three year period. I was pretty much pregnant. And then I decided, you know, I'm just going to have two kids. I thought about having four or five or six. Now after you, Max, especially I was the larger of the two Mm -hmm. still to this day, the larger of the two. And she's like, after you, Max, you were, uh, enough of a pain that I I decided two kids is good. Two kids is good. And you've continued being a pain to this day. No, I'm kidding. Hey, he's our pain. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I I don't know. It's like, I'm a dad and I went through a lot of this stuff with my daughter's mom, um, who I've mentioned before. We're not married, but we're very, very close. And I it was such a kind of traumatic, intense time that I almost think I've like blocked a lot of it out of my memory. Not be- not because it was like bad. It was just very intense and there was a lot going on. And also the first like year or so of like all the late night feedings and all that stuff. But I definitely remember she was into like spicy food. She's always been into spicy food, mm-hmm. but uh, I would cook her a lot of like Thai food and we would order a lot of like really spicy Indian food. I think that's a pretty common one for sure. Yeah, yeah. This is fascinating because, you know, we are lucky enough to have some expecting parents in the audience today. And while some of our fellow ridiculous historians are listening to this week's series, you may be experiencing cravings of your own. You may be waking up at three in the morning saying, I need French fries and gummy bears. Stat. And sending and sending your partner out to pick those up for you. There's there's a lot of um, cultural commentary mm-hmm. that comes into the idea of pregnancy cravings. And if you go online today, if you go to forums like What to Expect, all one word, then you will find no shortage of very specific pregnancy cravings, all food-related, and you'll find a lot of um, speculation about this, too, from biologists to psychologists, right? Yeah, you sure will. And, and it's not uh, its not like a, a new thing. It really has been around as long as we've been documenting on a, on a bit more high level. I don't know that we have like Cro-Magnon cravings or anything like that, but as far back as like the 16th century, we as a culture have been very much aware of this idea of these very specific cravings and urges that hit women when they're, you know, with child, right? And uh, that forum you mentioned too, in 2014, it kind of did a roundup of some of the more popular weird ones. And they were things like sour gummy worms, French fries, fried chicken, watermelon, uh, Mexican food and water and salad, Ben? What is that? Is that like a, a, a dish or is it literally just like glasses of water and like plates of greens? I believe it is uh, a salad and a glass of water, but let me hop on this hobby horse real quick. Salad just means a mixture. 
Uh, salad, sure. <laughs> the, I think here in the U.S., a lot of people imagine, you know, like a nice Caesar salad with some grated Parmesan, maybe a couple of fancy croutons uh, when they think of salad. But in other parts of the world, there are things like milk salad. I'm not making that Ooh. up. Folks, Ugh. Google milk salad. It's a I real wish. thing. It's weird. I'll give that one a pass. But the thing has been, to your point, the there is somewhat of a rhyme and reason to it. Uh, the idea of, you know, pregnancy being divided into trimesters, right? The three trimesters and each one kind of having an escalating sort of vibe of these cravings. I believe typically the first one is much more savory type of stuff. The second mm -hmm. one is sweet and the third one is salty. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, Mileage may vary. Um, people are different, but that is somewhat of the uh, conventional knowledge behind it in terms of the modern, you know, study of this phenomenon. Yeah. So today we are going to dive into the storied history of pregnancy, food cravings. And before we do, we have to point out that no, I like the phrase you used. Your mileage may vary. This is not a culturally universal experience. There are cultures where pregnancy food cravings as a concept don't really exist or they're not really reported. And if you go from culture to culture, you will find that where these cravings do exist, they are often wildly different. For instance, in Japan, when expecting mothers are reporting a craving, they're usually craving rice. Mm -hmm. Other than, you know, water and salad. That's right. And, you know, I just want to double back uh, ever so slightly when I said that the kind of conventional scientific understanding is this, you know, division of the three trimesters of the different kind of flavor profiles. That's really just an observation kind of of like, you know, typical cycle of these types of cravings. Mm -hmm. But the actual scientific explanation as to why, you know, physiologically these happen still somewhat up in the air. What we do know universally, and it makes sense for rice as well, is that women um, tend to crave calorically dense things, things that have, uh, that pack a lot of calories and carbohydrates, for example, into, you know, a small package. Mm -hmm. um, things like animal proteins, pizza, um, again, these calorically dense things, the kinds of things that Noom tells you to avoid like the plague. Uh, if anyone is aware of that, that is like the lesson that I learned in my week on Noom, my failed week on Noom. You're not supposed to eat calorically dense things, which would be things like steak or, you know, heavy carbs. Um, but outside Peanut of butter that, is a great one. Peanut butter is a great, great example. Uh, but outside of that, it's kind of anyone's guess. And you're right, Ben, women in Japan reported liking more rice, which is a staple food of that culture, obviously, because it is plentiful and packs a lot of uh, nutrients and calories into a pretty small package. So yep. they would want more of that. Yep, yep. And a uh, shout out to the psychologist who came to some of these conclusions, Natalia C. Orloff and Julia M. Horms. They wrote that researchers need to consider culture in looking at what women crave while pregnant. And they they make a great point when they say there is a complex ecosystem of pre-existing ideas about pregnancy, pre-existing ideas about food, and of course, pre-existing ideas about what it means to be a woman in general. And 
it makes sense when you think about it that your body is in an extraordinary situation and your body is making uh, additional demands. You know what I mean? Like, listen to your body when it tells you what it wants. One study of Tanzanian women in a rural environment found that they were reporting desires for, like you said, animal proteins, staples, grains, fruits, and vegetables. And the psychologist found that there was a um, a social significance, a cultural significance to providing these foods for expecting mothers. Like if you're if you're the husband or you're the husband's family or the male partner's family, then it's not only expected for you to provide those foods, but you get a bit of social cachet in doing so. So it, it, around the world and throughout history, it turns out that people have some unifying factors. We're not all that different. But this being a history show, we are going to dive into some history on pregnancy cravings. The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won. Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing high five casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Whoa! <laughs> I won again! I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your high five moment today? Only at highfivecasino.com. High five casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High five casino. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on do not disturb. Tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Like you said, Noel, I think we can go back as far as the 1600s, right? Correct. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely when, you know, there started to be more of an emphasis on measurement, more of an emphasis on um, the idea of kind of getting to the root of what makes us tick. And this was one of the goals of Nicholas Culpepper, who was a very popular medical writer at the time. Again, we know that a lot of these ideas are not going to pan out, you know, over time. Uh, and some, the, some of us, they're going to sound absolutely ridiculous, but that is kind of one of the words in the name of the show. So I think we're good there. Um, but this dude, Nicholas Culpepper, he 
kind of had a theory on what these cravings were. He described them as one of the chiefest signs of conception. So I guess he's using that as a marker of like, okay, you are in fact pregnant because, you know, again, it was kind of a, they didn't have pregnancy tests back then. You really had to just kind of like hope for the best and then wait for the signs, right? And this would have been one of the early indicators, according to Culpepper. Um, And he said what would then follow, uh, according to another writer or a historian, I believe, of this era, uh, John Sadler, would be then the, quote, longing desire for, and I love this term, strange meats. Strange Strange meats. meats. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, and I think, um, again, there's some language differences in the usage of words like this, but back then, I think the term meats would have just been a word to describe food in general. Like, if you think, if you hear people talk about sweet meats, Mm -hmm. that literally just means, like, candy. You know, so meats would have been a kind of a generalized term for foodstuffs. Bring me an ortolan. I'm only eating ortolans. Exactly. Uh, Yes. uh, Yeah, this is interesting. So the very first known pregnancy test, as we would understand it today, comes from ancient Egypt, where women would check to see whether they were pregnant by urinating on barley or wheat seeds. And if the seeds sprouted quickly, then they would say, this means I am pregnant. That sounds kind of crazy, right? Mm -hmm. That sounds uh, relatively unscientific, but turns out that was a pretty good predictor of pregnancy. Yeah, it was right about 70 to 85% of the time. Uh, But still, you know, uh, what's that old saying? Uh, a mother knows, right? So, oh, for sure. <laughs> you know what your body's telling you, and if your body's like, "I need these strange meats," mm-hmm. then you know, you know that you know that something has changed. And we we also know that by the late 1600s, this was a very common conversation in Europe, like people. People knew about pregnancy cravings. People joked about them. In 1682, there was this satirical piece. Think of it like an Onion headline, folks, when you hear the title, The Ten Pleasures of Marriage. And in The Ten Pleasures of Marriage, the author suggests that cravings are so common that, quote, all women, when they are with child, do fall commonly from one longing to another. And then the guy, the author here, he complains about, <laughs> this is so like classic stand-up, he's complaining about his wife, right? And he's like, oh, they're going to, you know, one day they'll crave oranges from China, then civil lemons, whatever those are, mm-hmm. S-I-V-I-L. Is this some kind of Italian lemon, like a lemoncello or something like that? It's lowercase in our notes, so I'm not sure. I think it's spelled the same as Seville. Mm -hmm. No, it's not. No, I'm wrong. Uh, But but anyway, (laughs) let us know, listeners. But, you know, we know that fruits have changed over time and and various uh, different strains that have become more prominent over time. Maybe the civil lemon was huge at the time. Uh, But speaking of things that were huge at the time, another one that is in this list is something known as the largest asparagus. I can only assume this is a very large asparagus that probably makes your pee smell really bad. It's not Um, large enough. We need the largest one. Max, Max, you're on this. Max, Uh, stop the recording. We need the largest asparagus. Fetch the largest asparagus. I got you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, bud. Uh, This sounds decadent. I'm kind of into this. Strawberries with wine and sugar Mm -hmm. and cherries of all sorts. 
And I like the pause and ellipses, plums. Plums. It's, it's interesting because at the time that this was written, these fruits, along with wine and sugar, were uh, extravagant. They were, they were premium items. You know what I mean? The average person living in Europe at this time would have considered oranges pretty fancy. They, mm. were, not, they were not on the crazy level of opulence that a pineapple was, which was a whole other deal. But they were, you know, they, they would be considered a premium food. And, and this guy who's writing this piece is saying, yeah, he's complaining about the same thing like a stand-up comedian would complain about in the 1980s. He's like, ah, now I've got to trot out way after dark because all of a sudden it's 3 a.m. And, uh, and my gal wants strawberries with wine and sugar mm-hmm. uh so this, and the largest asparagus and oh. the largest asparagus max you came back do you have it uh still working on it i got like the third and the fifth largest one but i'm still working on getting the largest one. okay Dang. we need the biggest one though this is a results driven uh producer right here i appreciate that about yeah. you, max but the thing is i think what a lot of you out there are thinking right now is like but what about like regular people they got pregnant too Ooh. They they couldn't have access to civil lemons and China oranges and the largest asparagus and strawberries and wine. Uh, I imagine they were probably eating whatever they could get their hands on, which would have been, you know, just staple foods. And also we know that pregnancies often uh, in these days before the intervention of, you know, much more effective medical uh, science didn't go well, you know, for people mm-hmm. in the lower class. I'm so glad you brought this up. Yeah, because this is something this is something that I think stays with the species today and it's an incredibly important point. So, cravings can only exist in a society or culture that has a variety of food or an access to varieties of foods. And there are many places in the world historically and as we record today, that do not have the privilege of that access, do not have the privilege of that variety. You know what I mean? Like when, whenever you see a show about cuisine and uh, you, you see very fancy, elaborate preparations of things, that is very much a luxury. And when we are exploring this story, we want to make sure that we acknowledge that. So I really appreciate that point, Noel. We know that there were some stereotypes in Europe about pregnancy cravings. One of them was apricots. People, like, it, it became kind of a, a trope in fiction of the 1600s. Like, John Webster had a play called The Duchess of Malfi, And in the Duchess of Malfi, there's this scene where one of the characters tries to figure out whether the Duchess is pregnant, and this is how he does it. He just walks up to her with a bowl of apricots, because at the time, people are like, you know what pregnant people love? Apricots, bro. And that was like so common and so understood that if you were watching this play, you would know what the scene was about. If you just walked into the room while that scene was happening, you would see a guy, he'd have some apricots, he'd be in front of this lady, and you'd be like, oh, somebody's expecting. 
Sure, sure. That was a thing in like Shakespeare, for example, like all kinds of stock characters and, mm-hmm. you know, these little in jokes that that only people of the time would have fully been aware of. And when you read them disconnected, it feels very, very dated. Obviously, so much of that work is very universal, but things like ap- apricots being very specifically tied to pregnancy would not read into a modern audience uh, unless you listen to this episode, in which case, congratulations for being in on the historical joke. But uh, these there was some superstition behind these uh, types of cravings too, Ben. This wasn't, you know, it was almost considered a, a heresy or, or somehow challenging the gods, you know, because again, and we know even in the upper class, pregnancies would often go awry because there just wasn't the kind of medical intervention that we have today. And they did things pretty weirdly and incorrectly sometimes. Um, Although we know, you know, it is possible for a mother to just give birth on her own with no doctor. We see it, you know, uh, every now and then it happens in like movies where someone is left to their own devices or gives birth in captivity or something like that. And they don't usually die, but there can be complications, significant complications. And oftentimes folks would blame things like that on uh, superstitious or supernatural factors, right? Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, the separation of science and spirituality is a relatively new thing for this species. If you look at if you look at the narrative arc of humanity. So back in the day, science and what we would recognize as religion or spiritual belief systems, they were inextricably intertwined. Right. So if you are a midwife or a lay healer at this time, you don't really have an established uh, like medical academy. You don't go to university. You learn on the job. And if you are referring to text rather than oral traditions, right, or experiential learning, then you are looking at some very old works. You're looking at Aristotle, right and and things of that nature sure. and then you're you're also treating superstitions the same way you would treat scientific research so this as you can imagine leads to some weird conclusions like early writers of what we would consider the modern era spent tons tons of time and and oceans of ink speculating on what pregnancy cravings could mean and these incorporated superstition and science together people believed that you could sort of tell what a child's personality was going to be like based on the cravings of the mother while that child was in and I love the way you pronounced it earlier Noel the whom Yes, the whom indeed. What do you think the giant asparagus child's going to grow up to be like, Ben? Well, there's giant asparagus, and then there's the largest asparagus. Excuse uh, me. Excuse we're going to, you know, uh, ridiculous. King his- among men is what I assume. <laughs> ridiculous history. Uh, we're doing a three men and a baby thing. So <laughs> that's what we're doing now. We're going to we're gonna raise this kid with a, Max is so done with this. He's <laughs> over it. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to raise this kid. Uh, Can I be Ted Danson? Uh, yeah, of course, if you want. Thanks, bud. Um, but I, I think it's cool when you're you, bro. Oh, well, but we're doing the, okay, so we can just do our own three men and a baby scenario. We don't have to, who else was it? Uh, who's the guy with the mustache? Tom, Tom, Selleck. Tom Selleck. Isn't he in three men and a baby? Maybe. And then there's a, there was definitely a baby. There's the third man. Uh, who's the third man? Sorry, this is an important tangent. Yeah. Please. No, let's uh, pause. Is, let's just really quick. I got it right here. All it right, is Tom it Selleck. Boom. 
Steve Gutenberg yes. oh. and Ted Danson. Steve Gutenberg. Nobody remembers Steve Gutenberg. I but remember. I will take the director credit because it was directed by Mr. Spock, Leonard Nimoy. No oh way. I didn't, I At didn't, least that's according to IMDb. No, that's that, that's accurate. That's I, I seem to remember that. Leonard Nimoy. Mm-hmm. Max with the facts. Max with the facts and the largest asparagus. Also, shout out to Leonard Nimoy's musical career. I don't know if anybody's ever listened to his music, but uh, it's not what you're expecting. And it's a fun ride. I like Leonard Nimoy a lot. Um, but it's true, Ben. We're talking about superstition. We're talking about things like humors and bodily fluids and, you know, like having too much bile that has to be drained or whatever and uh, bloodletting and the, and the like. So, I mean, this is very rudimentary uh, stuff based on this idea of the balance of these bodily fluids. And if, if you have too much of one, then you have to balance it out with the other or mm-hmm. else you're going to, you know, be colicky or, or something. But with pregnancy, you're right, Ben, a lot of, uh, of, of emphasis was placed on things like the maternal imagination, which I love, this theory of the maternal imagination, which was the notion that experiences experienced by the, the mother could actually affect the baby, you know, in utero yeah. uh, and, 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 and have experiences to be kind of transmitted from the mother to the fetus, and those could be carried with the child into adulthood. For good or for ill, an extreme version of this comes to us from Joseph Merrick, whom history remembers as the Elephant Man. Merrick famously explained his condition by saying his mother was startled by an elephant while she was carrying him. So people did believe that this is interesting. We should spend just a little bit of time on this. People for a long time believed that the experiences, all the sensory input and all the nutrition that went into an expecting mother affected the child that they would produce. And it turns out, oddly enough, as as superstitious as this sounds, it turns out that humanity was not entirely wrong about this. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at HighFiveCasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumberFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant 
just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. The study of epigenetics teaches us that what happens to a person, their life experiences, can influence the expressions of genes that their descendants will bear. Like it's, it, it is true, but people understood this way before they had any concept of gene theory or epigenetics, but they knew something was up and they were trying to figure out what was going on. One of the old school beliefs that is uh, hopefully enjoyable and not scary in the modern day is this. If you were in the Middle Ages, then you would have known, according to medieval lore and word on the street, that the foods an expecting mother eats will influence the appearance of her child, the way the kid looks. So, for instance, if you eat rabbit's heads while you're pregnant, then you're going to end up with a kid that has a split lip or a hair lip or a cleft palate. And Mm. if you eat fish heads, (laughs) then... You get, I love this phrase. Then you're going to end up with a kid who has something called a trout pout. Have you guys heard of this? Yeah, it's like the it's like the historical version of duck lips. I think, right? I have I, I have no idea. It's like you're. Uh, I I'm guess doing it right now. I guess your mouth is turned down like a fish. Like nobody can see this because we're an audio podcast. It's true. Like, like that. I can see that. Uh, uh, let's see. What, what is the what does a Google uh, image search get us for the trout pout? Ah, it's yeah. It, it, you know what? Oh boy, uh, <laughs> is it a thing? It's kind of, kind of all over the place. Um, <laughs> it, it some of these images do appear to be uh, plastic surgeries that have not gone particularly well. Oh, um, okay. So that wouldn't have been in play. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is pretty much kind of just a thick, full lip. That okay. is maybe not particularly malleable, let's say, sort of stuck in place, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like blue steel. Remember that look that Zoolander sure. would do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to that's turn left that's, for that's, it. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, if I recall Zoolander, yeah. And then there's another thing, like the idea of eating soft cheese. Expectant mothers were sometimes told, hey, watch out for that soft cheese, uh, because if you eat too much soft cheese, then your son will have small genitalia. Okay. Uh, well, that you know, uh, would, would they have put stock in the size of genitalia back in those days, Ben? Would that have been an important feature, do you think? Well, it was, at least in Europe at the time, it was an important enough concern that, that people were people were associated with uh, soft cheese and pregnancy. Uh, seriously, though, uh, while, while we are joking a little bit, most modern doctors will tell you that if you are expecting, uh, you should err on the side of caution when it comes to soft and unpasteurized cheese, not because it'll affect your kids' Australia, but because there is a link between cheese and listeria. Right. And also things like un, like raw milk, you know, that would be a big no-no. And mm-hmm. raw, what's the deal with raw milk, Ben? I mean, it's, it's technically illegal in some places. Like, uh, well, I mean, yeah, 
Yeah, it's it, it, it's illegal because uh, it hasn't been pasteurized, mm-hmm. and the process of pasteurization will kill harmful bacteria. But people in the U.S. and abroad swear by raw milk. They they, do. they think it's top notch. So we've talked about the idea of superstition being wrapped up in these cravings, the idea of using them to kind of read the tea leaves of what, you know, your boy's penis is going to look like or uh, what kind of personality your, your daughter's going to have or whether there will be some kind of birth defect, right? This is all th- these are all things that a lot of stock was put in by these, or they call been wise women, sort of the like next step up from the midwife. You had the midwife, and then you had these wise women who are not medically trained and were using a lot of uh, kind of, you know, uh, mysticism in, in this practice, correct? I would argue that, well, we know that wise women, as they were called, did a lot of things that we would associate with first aid, being a first responder in your community, also being a midwife or a doula. And I got to say, I would argue that if you are living in this time, your odds of success, if you're seeking medical treatment, are going to be better with a midwife than with the barber surgeons of the day. Uh, That's a fact. In case you haven't heard it before, folks, back in Europe for a long time, People assumed that if you were qualified to cut hair, you were also qualified to pull teeth, to draw blood, and to cut off people's limbs. Right, which is, if I'm not mistaken, where that curly Q red and white barber pole comes from, the red being for bloodletting. They were the ones who would give you a little snip snip and a little drip drip Mm -hmm. and then send you on your merry way. And, you know, uh, theoretically, you'd be all cured. But Ben, I love that point you make about midwives being much more suited to deal with pregnant women because they were women. And they knew their bodies. Therefore, they could at least translate feelings and experiences that they'd had. Most likely, many of them had given birth before to the women they were helping. So we are not trying to nag in any way uh, midwives because that's still today very much a valuable and valid profession. I've known many women who have chosen to go with a midwife or doula rather than, um, you know, have, uh, have their baby in the hospital. But we are talking about these superstitious associations with cravings. And one of them was that if you didn't appease these cravings, almost as if it was some sort of offering to the gods, bad things could happen. Oh, yes. Yeah. If you didn't appease these cravings, there would, the belief went, be negative consequences for your unborn child. So there are high stakes here. You know what I mean? You're an expecting mother and you've got this list of these do's and don'ts. You know, watch out for strawberries or cherries. They may give your kid birthmarks, but you can't eat. You can't not eat the stuff you want to eat, because if you don't listen to your body, your kid may come out with some sort of medical condition or malady. And you would hear contradicting information, which still happens today. I mean, look, expecting parents out there in the crowd today, we've got your back. I know that the forums are full of contradictory information. It was the same thing in the 1600s. You'd have one person saying, look, if you eat strawberries or if you get them thrown on your face and you're an expectant mother, 
then your baby's going to have birthmarks. And then someone else would be like, <laughs> no, wait. The thing is, if you don't eat the strawberries, then your kid's going to get birthmarks. They were referring to a real thing, something we would now probably call strawberry nevis, uh, because yeah. it was people believed it. That's right. And then they, they still are referred to often as strawberry birthmarks. Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins actually has one on his hand that you often don't see because I think he uses makeup to cover it up, as does the uh, absolutely twisted and incredible British comedian Chris Morris, who has a uh, really seriously kind of almost like proto Tim and Eric um, mm comedy series called Jam, and he also played the boss on the first few seasons of the IT crowd, but he mm -hmm. has one of these birthmarks on his entire face, and you almost never see him without some kind of cover-up makeup on, um, but but you will, you can find some images of it and see what it looks like, and it is very much this kind of, like, uh, freckled, red, splotchy kind of, like, thing that spreads, you know, all, all over the face, and, and it can be elsewhere on the body, but you're right, Ben, um, that at the time would have been attributed to lack of or overabundance of strawberries during pregnancy. Yeah. And we have some accounts, some historical accounts from a particularly well-known midwife who wrote a book called A Complete Practice of Midwifery, which I love the word midwifery. Um, I don't know if it's so much of a book as this was a collection of her notes, but she you know, went through countless births. Um, her name was Sarah Stone uh, in the 18th century. And she worked in the United Kingdom in the areas of Taunton and Bristol. And she, in those notes, once described a woman who was eight months pregnant and started having significant bleeding, loss of blood. And she referred to it as a great flooding. And she fully believed that this was the direct result of some kind of unfulfilled craving or longing that her patient had, even if she didn't know what it was. And, and uh, Sarah didn't know what it was. The patient claimed to not know what it, what it was. The patient said that she wasn't wanting for anything. So Stone uh, really kind of started putting on her midwife detective hat um, and started to really dig in as to what she might have possibly been lacking that could cause this... Uh, complication. And finally, the mother was like, well, I mean, there was this one time I saw a young boy hold a pea pod uh, up to the sun, and I thought it looked beautiful and uh, strangely delicious. So I want to step back here as we're, as we're getting closer to the end of the first part of this two-part series and give a shout out to, uh, to the king of birthmarks, one of the most famous birthmark havers, Mikhail Gorbachev. You guys remember Gorbachev, Max? Oh, yeah. No? Maybe yeah, a little before your time? This guy takes it to the paint with his, ooh, not an intentional pun, with his birthmark. You know, I respect him for having that kind of port-colored archipelago of a birthmark on his forehead, and he never, he never wore makeup to cover it. He also played, you know, a huge role in geopolitics, but now I'm wondering... What, you know, what his parents' diet was like when they were expecting. Did someone throw strawberries at his mom, as the old saying goes? Uh, what, the old saying of throwing strawberries? I don't know this old saying. Well, I was saying earlier, the idea that throwing strawberries at an expected mother could result in birthmarks for the child. But then Got also it. not eating strawberries or cherries <laughs> or wine could give the kid birthmarks. I mean, that's that's the thing. Because it was unscientific, just like the Peapod belief, people were experiencing a bit of confirmation bias 
right? There wasn't really enough research there to prove or disprove these beliefs. So people went with what seemed plausible. And that's, that's something right. that kind of continues today. It, it does. And, and, and uh, to, to that point, Ben, in terms of the research, I mean, this midwife, you know, really was being pretty methodical with her documenting of all of these cases. And in her notes, this was the only documented case of she, she did get the peapod, by the way. So like the she she held the she 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 realized, okay, I'm craving this peapod. Midwife had a local farmer bring in some peapods and she ate them and then immediately felt better. But in her notes, she said that it was the only uh, example like this where this one time, talk about confirmation bias, where feeding her the thing that she supposedly lacked completely got rid of the, you know, the dangerous um, complication. But yet she says in her notes collected as the complete practice of midwifery that she was confident that, quote, such things as these frequently happen without like any evidence whatsoever, except for the one. That's like the very definition of confirmation bias, except it usually requires a couple of instances, I would think, right? Well, there's there's something else at play here, of course, which uh, is the unfortunate rate of infant mortality at the time. So the harsh truth of it is that, uh, you know, a lot of times people did not have a successful birth or people had a child who had, you know, a, a very very serious medical condition. And just like parents today, they were searching for answers as to why this could have happened. You know what I mean? And hoping to arm themselves with knowledge so that they could avoid these calamities in the future. And you might be listening now and you might be expecting. If so, congratulations. Uh, and you might be thinking, dang, this whole thing really makes me want a weird flavor of ice cream. Let's see, we started with pickled ice cream. So someone's saying, I want ice cream that also tastes like pickles. Well, now is your chance to go uh, find that ice cream if it exists, because Noel, Max, and I are going to pause, chase down our own food cravings, and return with part two of this two-part series. And spoiler alert, fellow ridiculous historians, next part gets weird. Wouldn't you say, Noel, next part? I think is it's fair to say it gets weird. Yeah, if you think cannibalism is weird, uh, it gets a little weird. Um, but until then, uh, we hope you all stay weird. And huge thanks to super producer Max Williams. Who the largest has, asparagus. The largest asparagus. What's the deal with that? We'll wait. We'll get an update in episode two. But he's, you know, one of the weirdest people we know in the best possible way. I always use that word in, as, a, as a compliment. Huge thanks to Max's bro. Alex Williams, who composed this theme. Big, big thanks to Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Boister. Big thanks to our research associate, Gabe Luzier. Shout out to our super producer, Casey Pegram. And Noel, you know what? I would say shout out to all the expecting parents out there. You know, it's a tough time, but it's an exciting time. And uh, I'm wishing you the best, folks. Indeed. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. High Five Casino. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at highfivecasino.com. 
the hottest games right from Vegas, and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumberFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit tomboyx.com.